Welcome to the SSNC Alps Advisors 14ers Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. Joined once again by my good friend, Rob McClure, Director of Research at SSNC Alps Advisors. How are you doing today, Rob? I'm great, Paul. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I always look forward to these, always learn something, and hopefully provide really tremendous insights for our advisors and for our clients. Good to be here. So the overall framework for this podcast, as we've done on a quarterly basis, is to provide a summary of the most recent investment committee meeting. And I guess we should start with the high-level question. What were your main takeaways from the most recent investment committee meeting? Well, I tell you what, Paul, it was uh, the first six months of the year were certainly an interesting time in the markets. I mean, going back to the first quarter, we had the mini banking crisis and then the Fed essentially backstopping um, depositors, uh, which, you know, gave the, the markets some insight into to how the Fed may react to, to bad news, to be honest. And then in the in the second quarter, we had the um, – the equity markets driven by all of the hype around AI and uh, a lot of uh, concentration in a lot, in a number of these large growth stocks. Um, so it, it certainly was a, a very interesting uh, start to the year in terms of the investment committee. I think the biggest takeaway I think is that while the first half was a story about concentration I think going forward, the story is going to be more about good old fashioned diversification. We've got a couple of reasons why we think that, but I kind of liken it to when we watched over the weekend, Brian Harmon absolutely dismantle Royal Liverpool um, using a relatively straightforward strategy. And that was keep it out of the bunkers and keep the ball in play and give yourself a chance. And, and he was able to do that. Uh, I think he, I think he put the ball in two bunkers through that throughout the entire tournament, and the second one was on 18 on Sunday when he had a pretty sizable lead. So, I think that's that's the way, at least the takeaway that I got from the investment committee is, let's let's take the bunkers out of play and and you know let's let's go back to the first principles, uh, diversification, and access to several different a- asset classes, um, and um, away from the very narrow parts of the market that uh, that we saw in the first half. What what I'm hearing, Rob, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that just because the first half of the year didn't necessarily go according to plan or didn't necessarily reflect what our multi-asset research team was expecting for the first six months of the year, doesn't mean you blow it all up and you overhaul exactly what you do and how you do it. It's really about sort of understanding what it is that was in your process that might have led to some deviation between what the market did and what you guys expected, but also get back to what it is that you guys do best, which is expertise in a wide range of asset classes and that interaction between various asset classes. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, um, a lot of investors get FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. And we wanted to step back and say, okay, you know, let's, let's 
evaluate what's happened in the first half and, and does that really impact how we want to think about long-term portfolio positioning in it? And I, I don't think it does. And I, I think it actually might give us a, even a little more conviction uh, to kind of go back to those first principles. So with that, Rob, why don't we start with equities? Because coming into the year, the multi-asset research team was fairly defensive in their sector orientation from their overall equity posture. And I'm curious to see and hear, generally speaking, what the team's perspective is on equities and, and where we go from here. Yeah, I think for for equities, it certainly was, as I mentioned, a very concentrated first half. Um, just to give you a, f- a few numbers, the NASDAQ 100, which uh, has a lot of these large cap growth stocks, was up 15% in the second quarter. The S&P was up 9%. But if you look at the equally weighted S&P, which gives you an indication of how the market is acting as a whole, it was only up about 4%. So again, most of the returns concentrated in the very top of the market. Um, the good news is that since the end of the second quarter, we've started to see the breadth in the market improve. Uh, so if you just look at the equally weighted S&P versus the, um, versus the market cap weighted S&P, it's outperformed, which is good. You have a number of stocks that are trading, uh, the number of stocks that are trading above their uh, 200-day moving average has gone from something like 40% earlier this year to around 70%. So, you know, you're starting to see the rest of the market start to participate, which is consistent with uh, with our view. And we think there's a couple of reasons why we may expect that to continue going forward. So really, there's a couple of different um, outcomes that we we could see that that we've kind of put as our two most likely outcomes. One is you continue to have a tight labor market. Uh, wage growth keeps pace with inflation, um, which generally should or yeah. So you know which generally should support a stickier inflation picture, which means higher for longer on rates. Um, but in this scenario where growth is coming in better than expected, it's not quite as scarce. Uh, so, so the, the, the value of owning these large cap growth stocks is not quite as apparent when more companies are taking, uh, or benefiting from that growth. So that would, that would favor some of the, uh, parts of the market that have lagged in the first half, such as the cyclicals, industrials, and small and mid cap. The second potential outcome is something else breaks in the economy. So the the uh, mini financial crisis, I guess, we had in the first quarter was the canary in the coal mine, and we there's more to come. But in, in that scenario, you might have a credit cycle, potential for a shallow recession. And in this scenario, you'd want to be more defensive. Uh, and own a lot of quality and equities. So regardless of this outcome, we are still 100% focused on uh, quality and dividends as factors to uh, use in the portfolio um, because in a, in a higher for longer or recessionary scenario that we think regardless of sector uh, or size for that matter. Let's focus on those companies that have 
moats around their businesses that can pay a dividend um, and and keep us in income, you know, while we while we wait. So that that's typically been something that over the long term has generated very attractive risk adjusted returns. So we 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 remain positive on the, those quality and dividend factors, which to be to be fair have lagged in the uh, in the first half of the year. Yeah, and what's interesting about the quality point, and I'll give a little bit of a plug here for the Two Minute Tuesdays, is the team, the multi-asset research team, publishes their Two Minute Tuesdays every week. If you're not subscribed to them, please do. It's tremendous content. One of the recent pieces was talking about how quality as a factor is not, at least on a relative basis, something that investors have to pay up for. In other words, you look at the trailing or forward PE of a quality portfolio of stocks, and it's not trading at a premium to the broader market. And so people think inherently that quality companies that have better cash flows, that derive better return on assets, that have stronger balance sheets, et cetera, et cetera, should in theory command a premium in the market. And that isn't the case. And if you go back historically, over the long range of market regimes, you'll notice that there are periods where quality is more expensive than the market on a relative valuation basis. And that tends to coincide with pockets of market turbulence or pockets of market uncertainty, which seems to be the backdrop that we're either in or entering. So to that end, the quality story, whether it's in the large cap universe, whether it's in the small cap universe, is a very important point for investors, and I'm glad you touched on it. And the fact that the team, the multi-asset research team, favors quality and dividend stocks on a relative basis, I think underscores the attractiveness of those factors. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely right. And and for the past, actually for the past several years, there's been fits and starts, but there have been long periods of time where the market has really preferred growth over quality. If you look longer term, overlaying quality on portfolios can, uh, it generates more attractive risk adjusted returns so that the, the ride along the way is a lot smoother. Um, and that's, that's been borne out over very long periods of time. And I think, at a high level, this gets back to some of the foundational concepts around investing that, yeah, people like to focus on the top of the equation return, but that bottom piece of the equation, that denominator is so critical, the risk piece. And yeah. that often gets lost in the shuffle of these wild market swings, this AI mania, this concentrated market performance that we've seen so far in 2023. So for the sake of time, why don't we shift gears a little bit and you teed us up a little bit in talking about the banking crisis or the mini crisis, if you want to call it that, earlier in the year. But what's the outlook for fixed income? What categories does the team like? Well, in, in fixed income, our, our story remains pretty similar. Um, you know, we, we think there are good reasons. Obviously, the first half of the year, you've had positive returns to fixed income, which is certainly better than what we experienced in 2022. But we think that we think that could could continue for a couple of reasons. Number one, the Fed and the bond market, they finally appear to be on the same page as it relates to the direction of of rates in the economy going forward. Now, they could both be wrong. That's to be determined. But 
um, there was definitely a dichotomy in, in what the market was telling us and what the Fed was telling us several months ago, but they, they've come into line. And then you've got coupon income, which is in, has increased, uh, which acts kind of as a loss buffer, um, you know, as, as investors receive that income. But it, but overall, we still have the same mantra that we've been preaching now for a couple quarters, which is number one, we need to stay invested uh, with rates where they've gone. Uh, we think that there are positive, attractive returns, fixed income. We think we need to stay protected. So there's a lot of unknowns out there. And if we focus on quality credits and some long duration treasuries as insurance um, against a potential recessionary outcome, and then also stay flexible. So we want to keep that front end liquidity uh, for income, but keep an eye out for opportunities as the curve normalizes. And we may see some opportunities even in high yield um, if spreads widen there. So um, I'll say it again, stay invested, stay protected and stay flexible. Uh, the best way to, to, to do that, I think, is, is through active management and fixed income. Um, that flexibility part of the, uh, part of the equation. So very similar to last quarter, but, uh, um, but again, relatively sanguine about the, uh, prospects for fixed income. So at the top, Rob, you mentioned diversification and sort of applying the Brian Harmon rule of golf, if you will. And I guess the, the next question is, among the other asset classes between beyond equities, beyond fixed income, what are some things in commodities or otherwise that are of interest to the team right now or that the team likes on a go forward basis? So a couple of things we could, uh, you know, I'll, I'll touch on both real estate and commodities. But in terms of real estate, we actually just got off the phone with uh, one of our real estate portfolio managers this morning. And I think. With real estate, the news has been dominated by what's happening with a lot of the commercial real estate like office and retail. Obviously, the, the story around work from home has weighed on, on office, um, real estate equities, but it's real estate is a lot more than just office and retail. There's a number of sectors within real estate that have relatively, um, favorable secular or demographic tailwinds. They have strong balance sheets and solid opportunities for income growth um, as as they can pass through um, rent increases uh, to their to their uh, less their lessees. So areas like data centers, lodging, industrial care REITs, these are all segments of the market that have these tailwinds. Um, obviously, office and retail have pretty significant headwinds. Um, but, you know, if you look at the, the public REIT equity market, a lot of that bad news is probably priced in. Uh, not sure if it's time yet to, to get interested in those beaten down sectors, but um, but certainly there are opportunities within within real estate, as I mentioned. In terms of commodities, this is one where we've been pretty cautious on commodities over the past couple quarters, and 
and it's been the worst performing asset class um, in the first half. I think uh, the commodity index was down about 8%. Uh, so as money was flowing back into risk assets, it was not flowing into commodities. And, you know, I think that's a, that's a, um, a function of the market has been concerned about recession. And Paul, I don't know about you, but this is probably the most widely anticipated recessions that I've ever experienced in my career. But it's something that, you know, investors were worried about and, and that reflected in the, in the prices of commodities. But now that, you know, now that you've had some underperformance in the asset class, you still have some, I think some interesting tailwinds here, like, you know, positive real wage growth could keep a floor under inflation. And we all, we know that commodities are always a very good hedge against inflation. And you also have a dearth of investment into, into productive capacity within the commodities complex. Um, it, CapEx has gone up a little bit since the pandemic, but it really has not manifested in, in meaningful increases in production capacity. So, you know, we still think the supply constraints um, with potentially improving demand, if the economy is better than than expected, uh, commodities will, you know, potentially provide that good diver- diversification benefit for portfolios as well. So, you know, we do like an, an allocation to commodities and real estate uh, within a well-diversified portfolio. Yeah, you, you make some really good points there, Rob. And I think, again, another plug for Two Minute Tuesdays because this week's Two Minute Tuesday happens to be on the data center segment of the real estate sector. And it does, as you can imagine, pull on the string of AI as it relates to data centers because, of course, as the AI build out and investment takes place, it's going to require more data. It's going to require more data center footprints and, in theory, beneficial to the data center segment of the real estate sector. And we've seen on a relative basis really strong performance of that data center category within the real estate sector. And it's worth noting that ultimately, as you mentioned, there are pockets of the real estate sector that people don't necessarily associate with real estate as a headline. They typically associate it with commercial real estate or retail and beyond those categories are some really interesting segments that you can tie to things like, for example, AI or generative AI and the adoption and implementation of it, however steep or however long that investment takes to play out. The other piece of commodities that I think is really interesting, Rob, is this long-term secular trend that we often talk about in various venues around the energy transition and some of the new secular demand coming for some of these commodities, whether it's copper and the build out of electric vehicles or the electrification of the economy, the large amounts of copper that are necessary for us to improve and expand the grid to accommodate increasing electricity demand, all of the other inputs that go into the build out of a battery, et cetera. So, The high-level story here seems to be equities are likely to branch out from the concentrated segments of the market that have led the rally so far in 2023 and sectors that have so far underperformed perhaps could provide some strong relative performance, but the posture should be toward quality and income and fixed income. It's important to remain invested, to remain flexible, to have a myth 
a mix of short duration, high quality credits that allow you to take advantage of any dislocations or mispricings in other segments of the fixed income market when they do occur. And then lastly, in these alternative categories of real estate and commodities, it's important to not get too lost in what's happened so far in 2023, but really focus on some of these other secular trends and bigger macro trends that are benefiting segments of the market that investors don't necessarily focus on and haven't necessarily associated with those categories. Exactly. I think, as we learned this weekend, we don't have to have 350-yard drives to to win. We can keep it in the fairway, um, you know, fairways and greens. In investing, it's very much the same thing. And when the fairways are narrower and the rough is longer, it becomes all that much more important. Well, as always, Rob, tremendous insight, tremendous information from the team. Thank you so much for joining. It's been a great conversation. Thanks, Paul. Look forward to next quarter. And with that, this has been the SSNC Alps Advisors 14ers podcast. I'm Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. Thank you for tuning in and have a wonderful rest of your week.